Hi, and welcome to a Dad's Path podcast. We're real dads solving everyday problems. Each week we tackle issues that dads everywhere face and deliver actions you can take right away. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. Our goal is to help you make fatherhood count. Dad on. Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Dad's Path Podcast. I'm Will Bronstein. Today we're here with Tim Lee, who runs a newsletter called Full Stack Economics. I found it because he had several articles that he released about his journey on leaving the workplace, the traditional workplace, and spending more time parenting, though he still does both, and we're going to talk about that today. But if you're interested in economics, business, technology, then this newsletter may be for you. In fact, I definitely recommend checking it out. I love it. So welcome, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Will. Awesome. So first, if, could you just start and kind of tell your story? You were a journalist, maybe you still are. Tell us kind of where you were and where you are now. Yeah. So I've been a traditional full-time journalist for about 10 years. And I had my first child in 2015. And uh, after she was born, my wife is a physician. She delivers babies. And so she works a fair amount of nights and weekends. And so, you know, before the baby was born, what would happen is she would go on her night shift and I would often, you know, spend that time working on a piece I was working on or, you know, kind of doing work. Then once the baby was born, obviously, then that time is time I, I was, you know, on call to watch the kid. And so I started to feel I was like kind of less effective at my job. I was still able to do the job, but, you know, the really successful journalists put in a lot of time, really like chasing after scoops and like writing really big, ambitious features. I was less able to do that. And so over the last few years, we've had two more kids. And until last year, I was still, you know, a full-time journalist, but I would say I deprioritized my work sometimes to some extent. I switched jobs to one that was all remote in 2017. And so that gave me some more flexibility. And then I cut my hours around the time my second child was born. Um, and then last year, I quit my job entirely and started a Substack, which I still do probably 30 to 40 hours a week working on that. But it's a little bit variable, like some weeks, you know, kids will be home from school or a kid will be sick or something. And so there'll be a day or two where I don't do any work. And then, you know, other times, maybe I'll you know work a few nights or weekends, but it's, it's very, very flexible and like kind of prioritizing the childcare and, and kind of making sure the household is working well. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I think that's a great path. And, you know, congratulations, first of all, for making that big jump. Thanks. But you know, when you start looking at your own jobs or where you spend your time really is another way of putting that. And certain jobs, you know, require more time to really be successful in. And other jobs, you know, you work your 40 hours and you get paid 40 hours, right? You work 37 hours, you get paid 37 hours. Yeah. And those can be maybe more ideal in some ways when you have a kid because you don't have the same time sort of commitments necessary to succeed, right? I mean, that's what you're saying as a journalist. and Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, I, I think the more demanding jobs, often it's not just more hours, it's also less flexibility about when the hours can be. And I think different careers, this works differently. I mean, obviously, so my wife, she has to be on call, she delivers babies, so the babies come 24-7, so she has to take her share. Like in my case, like before I had a kid, I would travel more because often it's good for reporters. Like I, I read about technology, so I would go to Silicon Valley and talk to people and stuff like that. That became much harder with a kid. Or if there was a breaking story on the weekends before I had a kid, I could just hop on my computer and bang out a quick story if it was something I knew about. Now often I'm doing childcare, so I can't do that. And so yeah, I think often people can have more successful careers if they're not only willing to work more hours, but also kind of be available around the clock when the job requires it. And so often it makes sense for one parent in a family to kind of do that and the other parent to do the opposite and say, I'm going to find a job where that's not expected. I probably make less money, but then I'm available to be the on-call parent for when the kids need something. That makes a lot of sense if you can reach that, you know, that point, that agreement saying, hey, I know you want to focus on your career, 
and I'll focus on family and career. I mean, that's that's what you're saying, Tim. Like, yep. you're not giving up your career at all. You're still working 30, 40 hours, which I really admire. But how did you have that initial conversation or where did that thought sort of come from when you started talking about it, you know, with your wife? I mean, it was pretty gradual. I mean, you know, the, the just like the basic fact is like doctors make more than journalists. So when there was kind of a conflict where the, the family kind of needed more time, like I don't think there was ever a you know, a consideration like she would cut back her hours because like we just couldn't afford to do that. Like it would take a big decrease in our standard of living if she did that. So I don't think there was ever a point where we sat down and said, look, like I'm going to be the, the kind of main. I mean, I, I think it actually started at the very beginning. It was just like with like daycare pickups at the very beginning, we kind of did those kind of 50 50. And it was just very clear that like I could almost always make it. And she often it was really hard. And so, you know, and, and I wasn't like unhappy about it. It was just like it needed to be done. So I did it. I think it was just like that, like over time, it was just the practicalities it just made more sense for me to do it than her. And so then last year, when I was making the jump to doing the newsletter, I mean, it was partly because I wanted to support the family, but also because there are some opportunities to being independent, right, in terms of I get to write whatever I want. Hopefully, over the long time, this could actually become, you know, something that generates a significant amount of income. And so it was something I think I would have liked to do anyway. But the fact that we also kind of needed it for the family made it, I think, an easier decision to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, it'll be a lot more powerful when you're, you know, 10 times bigger than you are today and you're taking home, you know, that's how you can take home an income bigger than your wives, right? Like, (laughs) that's how a journalist can do it. Yes. You know, one subscription at a time. So yeah, I mean, that's not why you did it to your point, but I think it professionally, it's a smart decision. And I also think, yeah, the flexibility, I mean, that was a big part of it. And helping your family. And I mean, do you find that your family pace is more relaxed now or it's just, or are things are different or? You know, I I like the work I do. So I would not say it's super relaxed because when I do have kind of spare time, I often do spend it like working on a piece I'm doing for the newsletter, but it's just very much lower stress because when I had a full-time job, there was kind of minimum amount of work I need to do every day or week or month. And so if you had a situation where, you know, string of kids being sick or, you know, in the summer when school's off, it was just really a stretch for me to kind of do the minimum amount of work while also taking care of the kids. And now it's not so much like that. Like, I just know that if I need to take the day off, I can take the day off. Nobody's going to be mad at me. I'm not going to lose my job. And so that just gives us a, a much bigger buffer where I'm not stressed. And then my wife's also not stressed because she doesn't feel she's like kind of imposing on me by expecting me to do most of that. So I think it makes sense. And then my kids are obviously happy that I'm like around when I need to be around. So I think it works out for all of us. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. It's great to hear. And again, I love the path you're on. And one of your pieces from your newsletter, again, the full stack economics one, can recommend more. You talk about you know, this very thing, I believe. And you talk about it can be the best thing in the world. And, you know, like we're talking about Tim right now, things are going well. But then the flip side is like all marriages, it can lead to divorce or can lead to unhappiness and that sort of thing. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think makes a successful versus unsuccessful transition, you know, there. Sure. So one of the very interesting findings I found from just talking to experts on this is that the risk of divorce has been going down over time. In the, for kind of the baby boom generation, it was statistically the case that Families where the wife made more than their husband was at greater risk of divorce. And these statistics tend to be pretty leg because obviously you don't know when, you know, somebody who got married last year, you don't know if they're going to get divorced or not. But it seems like Gen X, or at least people who married in the 90s, that's no longer true. It's pretty flat based on income. So the worst case scenario, if you get divorced, I think it's not an elevated risk like it used to be. But absolutely. So I, th- I think communication is really important. I mean, you know, everybody says that it's a little bit obvious. And, and I think particularly like not just agreeing on a specific plan, but kind of agreeing on principles about like things will change, right? And you want to make sure both partners are committed to kind of being flexible. And I think it is good to have kind of agreement about like, if we end up needing more time than we do, you know, who's going to take that in, in our case, again, because my wife makes much more than me and has a less flexible schedule, like, 
it was pretty obvious that it was going to be me. But, you know, I do kind of check in with her regularly, make sure she's happy, make sure that things are working well. And so I think like constantly talking about how things are going and how things will go in the future is really valuable. So I talked to a bunch of men, um, about 20 dads for the second piece that I wrote about this. And it, it did seem like the ones that went badly, you know, when they either got married or when they had their first kid, they really hadn't like talked about the basics. They'd been, I think a lot of people are kind of overly optimistic. They just think we'll both keep doing our jobs and we'll just kind of they underestimate how much of a sacrifice it's going to be. And some of the ones that where it went badly, I think they just didn't think ahead, didn't have the kind of basic conversations about like, what are we going to do if, you know, somebody needs to put more time in watching raising the kids and then that leads to misunderstandings. If each partner thinks the other one should or there's resentment because you know, either of them wanted to. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you said at the beginning, it's like super simple. It's just communication. And you're right, but it's also that complicated, right? Like communication is kind of the linchpin of, of all relationships. And it's so easy to lose sight of that, and especially when you're going through these big changes, right? Like you say, okay, I'm going to now work from home and I, I want to take more of a backseat in terms of driving our finances and but I'll lead the family and you feel good about that and you made the decision. And then it's like, well, are you following up? You know, like, are you checking in with your wife? Are you guys seeing how it's going? What's working well? What's not working well? Any big decision, right? There's going to be changes that need to happen. Right. But I think with a lot of things, if you just don't communicate those things to your point, it can just fester. I think the other thing is like, Showing appreciation is really important. Another like really basic thing, but like I appreciate that my wife is bringing home most of the money. She appreciates that, you know, that I'm doing a lot of childcare and we just like make sure to say that. And if I ever feel like she's like taking from me for granted, I'll like, you know, point that out and, and usually she'll be very receptive to that. But just like, yeah, just like making sure that both partners feel like they're kind of getting a good deal. I mean, from my perspective, I think we're working out well for both of us because we're both like getting kind of Certainly, it's much better for either of us than if we had to like raise a kid by ourselves. That would be really, really, really hard. So I think we just kind of both have a positive attitude about it. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. It sounds like it's working really well. Another stress I'd like to talk about, not with you specifically, but with people you've talked to, is financially, right? So you have your partner is the primary breadwinner. Let's say you're not bringing home any bread. <laughs> you know, like how do you deal with, or have you heard people are dealing with that mentality, the psychology, the you know, can I buy this bottle of whiskey? Can I buy this for myself and things like that? I mean, have you heard anything like that? Any thoughts on that? So I feel like the people I talk to, it's been pretty positive. So this kind of conversation probably is most relevant for people at the higher end of the income distribution. So one of the basic ideas in the article is this idea of a greedy job where you can make a lot more money if you're willing to work long hours or be flexible about when you work. And so I think for people in those kind of careers, um, there can be a big upside to having kind of division of labor. So that, that's just kind of what I focused on since that's the situation I'm in and a lot of the people. And I think for those kind of people, if you're hopefully making enough money that the kind of basics are not hard to afford, I think that tends not to be too difficult. I think for lower income, obviously the lower your income, the, the more difficult these kind of trade-offs are. But I think on the flip side, there can be more upside to having one parent step back because the cost of childcare is going to be higher relative to your income. And so I think higher on the income scale, I think often what it makes sense to do is have one parent step back a little bit, but still pay for childcare. Whereas for the kind of middle and lower class folks, it often will make sense for one parent to step back completely and be a stay at home father or a stay at home mother and have the other one work because then you don't have to, you don't have any of the, the like expenses of a daycare or a nanny or anything like that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Have you guys thought or have you thought about, you know, if or when you would want to enter the workforce again, the traditional workforce? I mean, that partly depends on how well the newsletter goes. I mean, I would love to not do that to just have the newsletter be successful enough that I can just treat it as a full-time job. I, I'm not there yet, but I think probably on track to do that by, you know, my youngest child is one. So say when she goes to kindergarten in four to five years, um, I think it's very possible it'll be a sustainable business at that point. Um, I don't know, like, I, I do like working in an office and having coworkers. And so I could imagine 
kind of being tired of the work from home thing by five years from now. Maybe it'll be successful enough that I can start hiring other people. I, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a very wide range of possible outcomes. And I, I do think like journalists are unusually lucky in that respect. If you are I mean, like an automotive engineer, you don't get to like build a car in your backyard. Right. Hard <laughs> time. Like there's many professions where you really have to be part of a large organization. So I think that's more difficult. But if you're in a career like mine where you really can freelance or be a consultant or, you know, work part time. That's very helpful because then it's a relatively easy thing to kind of jump back into. Yeah, no, I think that's right on. And that is 100% the attitude to have. You know, it's not, gosh, I'm going to sacrifice for four years or five years until my kid goes to kindergarten. It's, hey, this is giving me an opportunity where I have almost a built-in runway where I can build this business, you know, and see what hay I can make. No, I love that. And I, you're right. I mean, there are jobs where you literally can't do that. But there, I would argue, a lot more jobs than you would think where you could, you know, even if you're an automobile guy, like start a podcast, start a newsletter. I mean, just go down your your area and you can create your own your own business. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think often it will require some change. So like you said, like there are not very many people out there with podcasts or consulting businesses or something like that. So I think probably most professionals, there'll be something adjacent to what they do now where they can take some of their skills from their current job and turn it into some kind of small business or consulting gig or freelancing gig. But I I talked to some guys who really did the full-time stay-at-home thing, and they were planning to do it for two to four years, and then really struggled because, um, like, there was one guy I talked to, I think it was, like, an optical engineer, and that was just something where you can only do that in, like, a full-time job at at an organization, and once you have a four-year gap in your resume, people look at that and they're like, yeah, I'm not sure why there's a four-year gap, but kind of don't want to take a chance with you, so... Um, that is definitely a risk people take for certain kinds of professions. And you have to you just have to think hard about like, is that worth it for some? It will be. There are other guys, I think, that just don't like their job all that much. You know, they don't hate their job, but they just don't feel any like great need to like be the breadwinner. And so it might just be fine if you're out of the workforce for a while or you end up having to do a different career where you go back in. Um, but there's others who I think really like their jobs and would not be happy if that happened. And so they have to really think hard about you know, if that's a risk they're willing to take. No, that's a great point. The optical engineer, it's hard to like have a lab in your <laughs> home office or whatever. That's right. But I think it's also an opportunity, you know, it goes somewhere in between, right? Like I have friends or, and I know it and I've talked to other dads who went from the crazy job, the greedy job, as you call it, you know, where you put in more hours, you make more money on that track to becoming a teacher or an assistant DA where your hours are more set and your pay is more set. And even always it's things are more set. It's just, it's an opportunity to kind of reset. Yeah, totally. And I also think if you are lucky enough to have a pretty high earning spouse where you don't really need the income, um, another great thing to do if you just kind of want to have something to keep yourself busy, feel like you're contributing is like volunteer work. So I talked to one guy, another who's married to a doctor who was a full time dad. And then as his kid got older, he served on a city council for a while. He became a volunteer at an organization that helps like low income people do tax prep. And then a couple of years after that, I think he became kind of the organizer for all the other volunteers. This is something, I mean, I think one of the kind of big picture issues here is that, you know, 50 years ago, the way this worked is like housewives would do that, right? It was assumed that most middle-class women wouldn't work. And then you had this labor force that would do all the kind of philanthropic stuff and the, you know, volunteering at school and stuff like that. And I think that we've had, you know, the positive development of more women are able to go to the workforce if they want to. But in the process, I think we devalued some of the, the other stuff that women used to do complementary to, you know, being at-home mothers. And so I think it'd be really valuable if there was kind of more social status and more just thought about the fact that it is good to have some parents who have some spare cycles to do volunteering type stuff. And maybe that should be more dads as well as Bob's. But either way, like somebody needs to do this stuff. It'd be good to have people, you know, have more respect for people that do that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was actually about to bring that up just in a couple different contexts. But what you just talked about, I mean, 
the lowest hanging fruit or low hanging fruit, I should say, is school, right? Your kid's school joining the PTA or, you know, something like that. And, and our PTA, you know, right now is, I think it's 80% women, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's still mostly moms, uh, but there's a dad or two on there. And to your point, the more we can get there, the better just yeah. Because the more dads that are home, like that's not, we, we need, you know, we need to be involved. And I think that cuts both ways. Like it helps society to your point, right? Before, you know, in the stereotypical world in, in the fifties, you know, the housewife was in the PTA and that was her job and that was great. And that meant that we had focus on the PTA on school. Mm-hmm. And now when both parents are working, neither one can do it. So if, you know, now there are more dads, I mean, this is kind of obvious, but our job I think is to help. And that's a way we can volunteer and help. But the other side is, you know, you talked about the camaraderie, you kind of miss being in an office. And I think we all miss that when we go from a structured environment where we see people every day to whatever we are when we're stay-at-home dads and we, even if we have multiple gigs, yeah. but we don't see as many people, right? So that's the other reason I think it could be important to get community involvement and, you know, it helps you personally just Totally. And one of the other interesting things of that that dad I talked to mentioned, so he also was involved in the school, and I think he was on the, the PTA or the school board or something like that. And he said he was involved in planning some activities, and the moms were all coming up with some idea for like an activity for the kids to do. And they're like, yeah, the kids will like this, right? And he like raised his hands and said, I don't think teenage boys will like doing this. And like having, you know, dads are going to have a little better idea what teenage boys like than moms are. And so I think there's, you know, in the same way that you in business, you want to have a certain number of women in the room, so that kind of women's perspectives are represented, like sometimes dads will have different insights than moms. And so I think it's healthy to have one of those kind of conversations, you know, a mix of both moms and dads. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great example. I think that's right on. And I'm just curious, do you meet up with other dads? Do you have like a structured way of doing that? You go to coffee shop, do you parks? I don't, I mean, you know, so I see a lot of other parents, there, there are a few other dads who are just school drop-offs, you know, soccer practice, that kind of thing. I just see them around the neighborhood, but it's mostly moms. And it's it's hard to tell. Like, I, I do feel like sometimes it seems like the moms are kind of more friends with each other than they are with me. And it's hard to know if that's, you know, just like why that is. But I've not done any formal, like, kind of networking with other dads. I mean, because I'm not like a full-time stay-at-home dad, I think I probably would be more motivated in that case. But uh, yeah, so it's, no, I have not not done anything like that yet. Yeah, that's fair. And, and yeah, it's an interesting sort of dilemma. Every dad I've spoken to basically faces that. Like you go to the playground, there's a bunch of moms. Sure. And they're generally friendly in my experience. And, you know, but it's, yeah, it's not quite the same. I mean, and the, what I liken it to is like when you're out for drinks with the guys mm-hmm. and one of, the, one of your guys brings his wife mm-hmm. or his girlfriend and it's fine. Like I like her, but, you know, things are a little different right? The conversation is maybe a little different. I also talk to a lot of dads. I hear what you're saying, like you're not struggling in that area. But a lot of dads I talk to are like, oh man, they just, my friends had kids. Now they don't reach out to me or I have kids and now no one talks to me. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's literally as simple as like, oh, did you talk to them? Are you reaching out to them? Right. And that's something like dads, like men generally suck at just, you know, like reaching out and and doing that first move to, to another dad, so to speak. And you know, but whenever I say that and whenever I tell someone that, they try it and easily find dad friend. I mean, you know, again, that's not, this isn't for you because you're in a different position there. But for my listeners, it's just funny being proactive can just make that difference, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is awesome. I have one last question for you here before I let you go, Tim. What advice would you give a dad who's, you know, thinking about making this jump, leaving the professional workforce, the, you know, nine to five? And yeah, what'd you tell them? I think it does matter a lot whether they're thinking about kind of part time versus full time. If you're just thinking about like scaling back your work and stepping up on, you know, doing more childcare and and housework, I think I'm just in favor of that. That's usually, I think, something that's reversible, where if you do it for a year and you find you don't like it that much, 
you know, if you still have a job, you can probably go back to your boss and say, hey, can I bump my hours back up? Or, you know, you can look for another job that's um, higher hours. So that I think is pretty low risk. If you're thinking about doing the full-time stay-at-home dad, I think you need to think a little harder about that could be your irreversible choice. And so you have to think super carefully about like, if you do that and you find out you can't, it's hard to get a job afterwards, like, will you be okay with that? Um, And then also have a kind of longer conversation with your significant other, make sure that she's okay with it and that she'll be okay with it in the various kind of scenarios. Because you don't want to do is agree that, okay, I'll be out of the workforce for two years and then get a job and then be unable to be a job and then have her be like mad at you because you're like kind of not pulling your weight. And so you want to make sure she's bought in on we're like taking this risk together as a possibility. I'll end up as a full-time stay-at-home dad for the next 10 or 15 years and make sure that she's, that's something that she'll be comfortable with. Maybe she'll be happy about it. I mean, some of the moms I talked to like love the fact that they had somebody at home, you know, so they, they could focus on their career. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you just want to make sure that your partner is on board for kind of all the possible ways that things could go. Yeah. And I like that. And like you said, communicating and also the direction saying, Hey, I'm going to try this, but in three months I might be crazy. This might blow me up. So let's try it, but I might need to go back. Yeah. So that's actually true. So that might be if if you are thinking about doing the full-time thing, if there's a way you can cut your hours by 10 or 20% first, you know, or or even just try just like doing more of the childcare and and housework, just kind of on a temporary basis while still doing your full-time job. That's probably a good idea. I think there definitely are some men and probably some women who, yeah, you do it full time and they just hate it. And better to learn that before you've uh, kind of made a, a choice that's difficult to reverse. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that's right on. Well, awesome, Tim. I really appreciate you joining me. I love your newsletter, Full Stack Economics. And again, there's just great things on parenting, on technology, business, like, you know, a lot of different subjects. I really enjoy it, but uh, you guys should check it out. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon here, Tim. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you haven't joined us yet, go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. And do you know a friend who might like this podcast? Send it on. We want to help as many dads as possible make fatherhood count. Dad on. <laughs>